Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be looking at an unusual experiment, an experiment in community and social living in India known as Oroville. With me is Professor Debashish Banerjee, who is the Haridas Chowdhury Professor of Indian Philosophies and Cultures. He is also the Chairman of the Department of East-West Psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. He is the author of Seven Quartets of Becoming, which is his interpretation of the yoga psychology of Sri Aurobindo, and is the editor of the recently published anthology, Critical Post-Humanism and Planetary Futures. Welcome, Devashish. Thank you, Jeffrey. Your work has... Uh, had a strong influence uh, from Sri Aurobindo, and I suppose one must say that Sri Aurobindo is the spiritual father of Auroville. It's, in effect, named for him. That's true. That's absolutely true. Though he uh, was not its founder, uh, it was his uh, partner and collaborator, uh, Mira Alfasa, also known as the mother, who founded Auroville, but she was putting into form some of his ideas, mm-hmm. uh, particularly his social and political ideas uh, for a future society. And uh, now the interesting thing there, as soon as you introduce the mother, we're already talking about a very cosmopolitan approach. And uh, in, in our earlier interview on the uh, Bengal Renaissance, uh, that cosmopolitan cultural influence, uh, uh, with which was shared by Aurobindo, was was an important uh, thing. Uh, Mira Alfasa was originally uh, of Jewish Sephardic ancestry and and had extensive background in uh, Kabbalah before she went to India and, and met Aurobindo. That's quite true. That's quite true. And I, since you brought in the Bengal Renaissance, yes. I'd say that the, the, the kind of thinking of the Bengal Renaissance flowered in societies like Auroville, uh, with, with Tagore, it flowered in Shantini Ketan and the educational and creative community that he founded there. And with Sri Aurobindo, it found, it flowered in Pondicherry, but even more properly, I think it flowers now in Auroville. Mm-hmm. And you're quite right that the coming together of two spiritual traditions between Sri Aurobindo and the mother, uh, Eastern and Western uh, spiritual lineages, both of them plural in themselves, modern reinventions of the history of spirituality in East and West, mm-hmm. uh, finding a modern form in Auroville is, is very uh, interesting and cosmopolitan. Uh, future oriented. And, and when sense. was Oroville founded? In 1968, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1968, as you know, uh, just 50 years mm-hmm. from now, uh, was, uh, 
one of the peaks of what we know, know today as the counterculture yes. in America. And not just the counterculture. That's the year that man first walked on the moon. So many things. Man yeah. walked on the moon. Many other very significant things happened that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, was, there, there were tragic events as well. Yes. Uh, the death of Kennedy, the death of uh, Martin Luther Martin King. Luther King. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, an extremely important year. Uh, but I think uh, it, it, in a sense, uh, brings these energies into a focus uh, in events like uh, the founding of Oroville, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, was a, a, a kind of an answer to the aspirations of the time, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a, a, a promise, mm-hmm. uh, looking towards the, 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 uh, answering the aspirations of the time. Now, Oroville, as I understand it, is completely distinct from the uh, ashram that Sri Aurobindo and the mother had created in the nearby town of Pondicherry. That's quite right. Uh, it's very close. Uh, about six kilometers uh, south of, uh, uh, I think, north of uh, Pondicherry, of the ashram of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. And it is very different. It's distinct. It's different. But it's also uh, geared towards some of the same goals as uh, the ashram in Pondicherry. Uh, the ashram in Pondicherry uh, grew up around Sri Aurobindo and the mother as uh teacher figures, and in the Indian spiritual tradition, guru figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Oroville uh, seeks to uh, have no guru figures, mm-hmm. it's really an experiment in what mm-hmm. Sri Aurobindo was calling spiritual anarchy mm-hmm. as a political form. Uh, it also is different because it's international, and uh, it is a self-governing international community uh, that uh, doesn't have, or at least even even in its uh, founding, is not supposed to have any religion. So mm-hmm. by not having any religion, we mean it's really a post-secular form. Uh, no religions in a traditional sense, mm-hmm. but what today we call spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine that some of our viewers may not really fully appreciate the uh, spiritual role of the guru in Indian tradition. We sometimes think of a guru as a teacher, but in Indian tradition, a guru can be much more than that. Yes, a guru in the Indian tradition is is a very, I mean, the word guru means heavy. Mm. So he's a heavy in that sense. And uh, heavy in the sense that uh, they can take spiritual responsibility of your life, of your spiritual life. Uh, a guru uh, really takes you in as uh, almost like a spiritual uh, son or daughter and, and can uh, help you to f- flower. It mm-hmm. takes responsibility for your spiritual life, not, mm-hmm. not just gives you lessons. Uh, so, from that point of view, the idea of the guru is 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 is, is very significant, mysterious, uh, has many dimensions to it, including authority dimensions that are problematic, uh, and particularly when looked at from the viewpoint of modernity, 
uh, is a cultural uh, contradiction to some of the values of the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And and certainly contradicts the Western notion of the rugged individual who would not give up authority over their own spiritual evolution. Quite true, quite true. So uh, that becomes another very large discussion on what exactly is the guru and, uh, you know, what are the the kind of dividing lines mm-hmm. of individuality, where individuality ends mm-hmm. and the role of the guru begins, and whether even it's possible to bring that into uh, the context of modernity. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there are lots of problems that we see are around us because guru figures have come to the West from India in the 60s, and uh, many of them, uh, you know, have had some relative success, and many of them have uh, created many problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have had s- sort of uh, many uh, difficulties mm-hmm. with, with gurus in, in the West. Now, I you know you and I, um, three years ago, did a whole series of interviews des- uh, describing the evolution of Sri Aurobindo on his path from a political revolutionary to a very significant spiritual figure. And in response to those interviews, occasionally I would hear from devotees mm-hmm. uh, who really treated uh, Aurobindo and the mother in a, in a worshipful manner. Almost like deities. Quite, quite true. So I I would say, coming to our topic of Auroville, that to some extent, at least in my understanding, the mother founded Auroville to create another form which would stay away from an overtly worshipful attitude towards personalities. Mm -hmm. That it would be a kind of a space where individuals would explore their own possibilities and arrive at the goals that Sri Aurobindo and the mother had set for mm-hmm. uh, the human future. And w- what, what, what could be those goals? I'd say, um, in a way, the quintessence of the teaching of Sri Aurobindo is that of integration. He calls his uh, spiritual path integral yoga. And integral yoga is, he's looking at it in his texts mostly as psychological integration. Mm-hmm. So he sees us as fragmented forms. We have a body and we have uh, life instincts, we have emotions, uh, we have uh, a mind which thinks. Uh, and all these are heterogeneous, independent forms of consciousness. Uh, how do we integrate them? This becomes the psychological question that he's looking at from the viewpoint of yoga. Uh, but I think with Auroville, uh, we have to look at his social and political texts as well. There are two other really major components that come into the question of integration. So it's psychological integration, but added to that is cultural integration. And then there is ecological integration, the integration of land and and of of the earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because by the time the mother founded Auroville, new problems have arisen in human Mm -hmm. society and consciousness. Uh, The technology is one of them. We've become much more mediated by technology in our times than when Sri Aurobindo was writing. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when did Sri Aurobindo die? In 1950. 1950. Yeah. So uh, after his death, the mother essentially ran that ashram for 18 years before 
Oroville was founded. That's quite, that's quite right. Mm-hmm. That's quite right. And, uh, yes, so technology becomes much more prominent. Uh, it creates a, a, a kind of a world with advantages and disadvantages and a lot of the disadvantages have to do with with the with the depletion of the earth yes and so can we include that element into the idea of integration i think all these questions are in the mother's mind when she founds auroville mm-hmm. how many people live there today Today, there's about 2,500 people that live there. Uh, and then there's visitors that are going there in greater numbers. Mm-hmm. About a thousand people every year are kind of, uh, trans, sort of transient. Mm-hmm. They, they, they go, they come and go. So it's an experimental community that has now survived 50 years. That's right. This was last year was the 50th year of Oroville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, we know in the history of uh, certainly America and many other countries, experimental utopian style communities, uh, many of them have come and gone. Quite true. So th- when we think of this as a utopia, a utopian experiment, it's really a utopia in the making. Mm-hmm. Because I think uh, it becomes a utopia when the integration that's being talked about has been achieved. Yeah. And that integration, it's, it's a high demand. It's, it's a tall order, as one may say. Yeah. So uh, people are moving towards that. Uh, even psychologically, the mother is describing this integration now in a collective way, which Sri Aurobindo didn't really do. He was talking about an individual uh, integration. Mm-hmm. So, for example, she's saying that the fulfillment of the community comes when every individual can experience others in the community almost as other, other bodies of themselves. Can we attain to identity with a collective? Mm-hmm. So these kinds of spiritual goals uh, can then be extended to the habitat in which I live. Can can I experience identity with, with the earth in which I live? And of course, it looks like a very esoteric idea, but I think the more practical thing is can we have intimate relationship with those with whom we live, mm-hmm. including the world in which we, the, the earth in which, on which we live. And I think uh, that progressive uh, movement is is uh, current. It's is going on in Auroville, and that's what mm-hmm. makes it, uh, uh, you know, a vital mm-hmm. uh, experiment. Now, you have described to me how, in the very center of the community, uh, there's not a temple, but there is a meditation hall. Right. Uh, so, the, the, again, talking of a different kind of space, which to some extent they were, the mother was looking at as a model for the future, uh, kind of a city state, uh, which would, you know, be a, a sort of a, a, a kind of a, a model that people would replicate in some way. She thought of a, a kind of a city with a soul. And this idea goes back to actually uh, modernism and uh, maybe the early decades of the 20th century in Germany when people like Bruno Tart and uh, other architects were thinking up spiritual cities mm. And cities which had a structure at the center that did not belong to any individual, but belonged to the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. And here there is what's called the mother's chamber or the mother's meditation hall, Matri Mandir, or the mother's temple, 
which is a meditation hall that people can go in and meditate uh, that belongs to the community as a whole. So it's it's a beautiful architecturally designed uh, you know structure, uh, and there is no specific religious content, but there is symbolic content. It's in a way a solar kind of uh, symbolism, uh, not only a solar symbolism, but uh, I'd say physically integrated. Uh, solar symbolism, mm. because uh, there's a heliostat that tracks the sun and drops a ray of sunlight onto a crystal globe. And uh, there is a large uh, room in which uh, people sit and meditate around that around that globe. Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, that the, the, one of the contemporary uh, philosophers, Michel Foucault, has talked about a heterotopia. A heterotopia is a place that is at many places at the same time. And the, the reason it can be that is that individuals can look at it in different ways. It affords a variety of uh, images to people. And I think rich symbolism uh, can do that. Uh, and I, I feel uh, the mother's Matri Mandir, the the soul of Auroville, is a heterotopia in that sense. Mm-hmm. You've described to me uh, your own personal experience meditating in in this center. Right? Could you talk about that? Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I have uh, meditated there a number of times, uh, and uh, inevitably I go into a very deep space. Uh, I think the aesthetics has something to do with it, but uh, it doesn't exhaust the 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 content, and uh, the the space makes me feel as if I'm in a very concentrated uh, place in the middle of the earth. It's planetary. It's a sense of being everywhere on the earth at the same time. Uh, that kind of a, an experience is is. Uh, uh, quite unique uh, mm-hmm. to that place. And uh, just for some context, I we have never talked about this, but I presume that you have actually quite a bit of experience with meditation. Yes, I've been meditating for many years. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, so different kinds of environments afford different types of experiences. And I think uh, the Matri Mandir has quite a unique type of experience. Uh, there's a quality of something that is not yet formed. Obviously, when building a community, uh, ecological considerations are very important. And, yes. and I gather that at Oroville, they uh, have given this quite a bit of focus. Indeed. As I said, uh, I think eco- I think the environment is one of the forms of integration that the mother thought of. And uh, so we find that from the very beginning, this place, this uh, sort of, uh, I mean, plot of land that was selected was completely barren. And it had suffered from the kinds of, uh, you know, desertification or denudation that many places in the, on the earth have suffered now. And particularly in India. And particularly in India due to, uh, excessive, uh, you know, tree cutting and cultivation without really renewing the soil and, uh, the inability of trees to 
grow there and the runoff due to monsoons. The soil had become completely infertile. And uh, at the same time, there was a banyan tree uh, that the mother selected as the center of, of Oroville. And she chose a, a 1.6-mile uh, radius around that uh, as the kind of as the land. And so when the people came to settle there, uh, they had to look at that land as also a part of their extended body. And uh, one of the first things they had to do was to bring back the trees and the water to that land. And I think that has been one of the great success stories of Oroville, the, the experimentation, the way in which they worked with the indigenous societies over there, the village uh, people who knew more about the kinds of vegetation that grow there, as well as the, the scientific uh, knowledge that was brought by some of the Western uh, people who settled there. Um, they've managed to green that entire area. So there are forests around the periphery of Oroville, um, a kind of a green belt. Again, the idea of a green belt goes back to, uh, you know, the, the 1920s or so when new kinds of cities were being thought up uh, by, by modernist uh, thinkers, modernist uh, town planners in, in Europe. So it's it's greened and they've uh, tried, they've created irrigation projects, catchment systems to bring the bring up the water table and also they have uh, water recycling so that uh, very large uh, you know efficiency of water recycling takes place within Oroville. And the population there, how, how many people are native and how many people are foreign? So I'm not absolutely sure about the proportions, uh, Jeffrey, but I'd say about 50-50. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, what happened is earlier there were villages within that 1.6-mile radius. And uh, so the villages were, uh, you know, and the mother asked the villagers be looked at as the original inhabitants of Oroville. So the people who came to settle around those areas uh, came into contact with the villages. Because uh, the ashram itself was attracting people from all over the world. That's true. And uh, Oroville, uh, being set up as an international community, a lot of the hippies that came in the 60s uh, gravitated towards Oroville. So there was, uh, you know, European uh, and American uh, influx, uh, while there were Indians as well who went there. Uh, and then the villagers uh, who got incorporated or assimilated into Oroville. So the, the, it, it is this uh, kind of hybrid uh, population that, mm -hmm. li that lives there. Another point is that they um, have worked to f create a balance in terms of using technology but not becoming uh, overwhelmed by the um, technological mindset. Exactly. I think that's a really important point, Jeffrey. And I think that's another one of those uh, both uh, reasons why it has managed to uh, last so long and one of the reasons why it holds some promise for the future. Uh, I think most of these uh, communities, utopian communities that have tried to 
find a solution to the over kind of you know consumerism of the of the world uh, have tended towards becoming a kind of uh, communities that have divorced themselves from technology communities that are a back to nature type mm -hmm. of movement yeah. but uh, in oracle what has happened is that they have focused rather on spiritual growth uh, growth in uh, you know in 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 integration and those become their vectors of uh, engagement mm -hmm. uh, so that the technology does not override their existence but is integrated into those concerns mm -hmm. and so it's it's it it uses technology for uh, you know relations with the earth relations with each other relations of culture things of that kind uh, without becoming uh, capitalized in the sense that the rest of the world is now the Aurobindo ashram is is still active in Pondicherry yes, separate from Oroville yes yes that's what, yeah is there a relationship well Oroville was created to start with as an independent unit and the ashram exists uh, as another unit and the ashram has a slightly different uh, you know flavor to it mm -hmm. which is a little more religious because i think the people of the ashram gravitate around the physical personalities of sri aurobindo the mother their uh, samadhi which is uh, their their tomb uh, the the place where they've been their bodies have been interned becomes a sacred spot around which people sit and meditate and there's a lot of devotionalism towards the the personalities of Sri Aurobindo and the mother in the in the ashram, while in Oroville that's kept to a minimum. Uh, so the relations between these two communities uh, could have made for a very interesting kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, some of that has happened, but. There was an unfortunate history in which uh, a, a certain unit uh, that was affiliated with the ashram, the Sri Aurobindo Society, came into conflict with the residents of Oroville. And as a result of that, uh, you know, that conflict, uh, the government of India had to come in and segregate the two communities. Oh. And uh, now Oroville is uh legally speaking owned by the government of india uh of course the government doesn't interfere in its uh, operations uh it has a a representative that uh you know keeps watch over it but uh, allows it to run mm -hmm. by itself so the community is operating on principles that were originally enunciated by mira alfasa yeah, and actually by Sri Aurobindo in mm -hmm. his social and political writing. So, uh, as I said, he was looking at forms of government. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as we also discussed, he was an anti-colonial uh, activist to start with. And he was critiquing uh, some of the forms of government and looking towards a radical democracy. And he felt that a radical democracy had to be a participatory democracy, not a representative democracy. So this moves us towards forms of government that have been called anarchistic. So he was looking at a, a kind of an anarchistic, self-governing uh, city unit 
And to get to that point, uh, Oroville has, uh, you know, he felt that it, that was only truly possible when we could psychologically arrive at uh, sources of consensus. Uh, and that is a spiritual goal. But before we can get there, uh, society ought not to be top-heavy, that not to be governed by uh, a kind of a dictatorship or some kind of, you know, small number of people, uh, you know, controlling the others. And so what, uh, you know, he was foreseeing a kind of uh, gradual movement towards full uh, participation. So what we have right now is a kind of a, a, a three-tier system. Uh, there is a, a what's called a governing board uh, consisting of a few of the members, senior members of Oroville and some other uh, people who um, are uh, visionaries in a sense. Uh, then there is also an international advisory committee and then there is a working com uh, committee formed of seven members chosen by the members of Oroville. Uh, and uh, then there is the entire population of Oroville above the age of 18. And that total population is what really has the last say on any uh, principles that are uh, proposed mm -hmm. at any level of this uh, three-tier system. Um, and of course, I mean, it sounds a little unwieldy. How would 2,500 people decide? But actually, we have to see that Oroville is an organic uh, system of many different smaller communities. Mm -hmm. And each of these small communities uh, has its own self-governing uh, processes. So smaller decisions are taken by people by themselves, while larger community decisions are taken by the entire uh, yes, as you described it to me earlier, it's as if there are villages within Aurobindo. That's right. There are villages. And see, this was Sri Aurobindo's vision of future governance, that uh, organically people would congregate into what, what we might call global villages, villages that were not the villages of the past, that were clans that had congregated due to blood relations, but villages of the future that were international affinity groups, people who had come together f to do some work or because they had affinity with each other uh, or intentions they shared, and these formed organic units that were self-governing. And, and also uh, had different economic enterprises, I gather. Right. So there is an economic base. And again, the idea was to have um, cottage industries. And cottage industries, as, as we discussed, uh, there, there isn't a, a, the absence of technology. So the cottage industries are sometimes technological. Uh, uh, Oroville had one of the first computer, desktop computer assembly uh, units in all of India. Uh, you know, there are sometimes uh, smaller, low-tech cottage mm -hmm. industries uh, like incense making or um, textiles and things like that. And some of the industries are service industries. For example, even the people who have created a green belt are now giving consultancy to other places on how to uh, regenerate 
the land. Mm -hmm. So you have a variety of industries that support uh, Oroville. Uh, and work becomes really an opportunity for individuals to express their creativity in a way that uh, is of service to the entire community. So in effect, one might say Oroville is an experiment in karma yoga. Absolutely. I think that's an important aspect of the, uh, uh, you know, ground reality of Oroville. Everybody there is doing a certain kind of karma yoga because they offer their work to the entire community, uh, but they do it in a way which is satisfying, in a way in which they are organically accepted for what they have to give. And that was part of the mother's vision, that people ought to be supported by the community and they ought to support the community uh, to the level uh, of their capacity. Mm -hmm. In a way, I mean, some of the Marxist ideals uh, find their fulfillment in a place like uh, Oroville. Well, in some ways, it <clears throat> to each according to his needs, uh -huh. from each according to their capacity. It, it's reminiscent of some of the Israeli communes. That's true. That's true. I think one of the differences here is that as the mother laid it out in her, uh, you know, charter, which forms the ideals of Oroville, uh, the, the first one says, um, uh, Oroville does not belong to anybody in particular. Oroville belongs to humanity as a whole. So this sense of property, of holding to something that one owns, is divested from one's uh, mind from the very beginning, mm -hmm. that we are here to give ourselves to a, a, a human ideal, mm -hmm. a hum ideal belonging to humanity. The second one mm -hmm. is... Uh, Oroville is a place of unending education. And this notion of unending education is, I think, really important because individuals are involved in a process of becoming integrated, in transcending themselves, and in learning about themselves and about their environment, about cultures, and things like that. So that becomes the primary goal rather than having, being and becoming rather than owning and having is is really the big shift in in the psychological mm -hmm. you know state of being of people there you mentioned that the government of india now owns oroville but i gather people do own their own homes right i think when we use the word own we again come back to the notion of property but i think ownership uh, by, by saying the government of india owns uh, oroville I, I think legally speaking that that's what that means mm -hmm. but i think independence is given to them to uh, to run them their their community uh, an individual who goes to oroville and is integrated into oroville uh, has the power to purchase a, a home for themselves. In other words, they can have a home built there for themselves. And that home does not actually technically belong to them. They can live there for their entire life. And if they have people living with them, those people can live there too. But once they leave that house becomes uh, the property of the community. I see. So, uh, you know, they have uh, working groups that can decide who will go there. Oh. You, you can't sell the uh -huh. home in which, you, which you've built. So it's not strictly a capitalist society at all. No, it isn't. In fact, one of the tenets that the mother was looking towards is a money-free society. 
And even now, uh, I think people who live there, uh, though, though they exchange with the outside world uh, economically using money, uh, internally uh, there is a kind of uh, almost a credit system through which people accrue uh, credits according to the work they do and the services they give, etc. And with that, they can also buy, uh, you know, uh, their daily uh, needs. I, I see. Yeah. Well, since the community has survived now for half a century, yeah. I, I, and you bring groups of students there to visit? Yes, uh, I will be taking 15 students in, in this, this July. So, obviously, you see this as a role model that uh, people around the world should pay attention to. Absolutely. I think the, the students that I take are graduate students that are going to write research papers uh, looking at a variety of, you know, looking at the holistic uh, society, but they can look at it through the lens of its economy, uh, its ecology, uh, its spirituality, uh, or its uh, architecture, its culture, uh, you know, a, a variety of ways uh, so that one sees how uh, it has integrated these into the society. Mm -hmm. Well, Debashish, thank you for this conversation. This has been very informative uh, about a, a significant social development of which I've, I and probably most of the viewers are largely unaware. So, uh, you have gifted us with your experience and knowledge. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, and thank you for being with us.